Chapter Seven of Nero by Jacob Abbott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Britannicus, A.D. fifty-four to fifty-five. The occasion which led to the first open outbreak between Agrippina and her son was the discovery on her part of a secret and guilty attachment which had been formed between nero and a young girl of the palace whose name was acta acta was originally a slave from asia minor having been purchased there and sent to rome very probably on account of her personal beauty she had been subsequently enfranchised but she remained still in the palace forming a part of the household of agrippina nero had never felt any strong attachment for octavia his marriage he had always regarded as merely one of his mother's political manoeuvres and he did not consider himself as really bound to his wife by any tie he was besides still but a boy though unusually precocious and mature and he had always been accustomed to the most unlimited indulgence of the propensities and passions of youth the young prince as is usual in such cases was led on and encouraged in the vicious course of life that he was now beginning to pursue by certain dissolute companions whose society he fell into about this time there were two young men in particular whose influence over him was of the worst character their names were ortho and senecio ortho was descended from a very distinguished family and his rank and social position in roman society were very high senecio on the other hand was of a very humble extraction his father being an emancipated slave the three young men were however nearly of the same age and being equally unprincipled and dissolute they banded themselves together in the pursuit and enjoyment of vicious indulgences nero made otho and senecio his confidence in his connection with acta and it was in a great measure through their assistance and cooperation that he accomplished his ends when seneca and burrus were informed of nero's attachment to acta and of the connection which had been established between them they were at first much perplexed to know what to do they were men of strict moral principle themselves and as nero had been their pupil and was still while they continued his ministers in some sense under their charge they thought it might be their duty to remonstrate with him on the course which he was pursuing and endeavour to separate him from his vicious companions and bring him back if possible to his duty to octavia but then on the other hand they said to each other that any attempt on their part really to control the ungovernable and lawless propensities of such a soul as nero's must be utterly unavailing and since he must necessarily as they thought 
be expected to addict himself to vicious indulgences in some form the connection with acta might perhaps be as little to be dreaded as any on the whole they concluded not to interfere not so however with agrippina when she came to learn of this new attachment which her son had formed she was very much disturbed and alarmed her distress however did not arise from any of those feelings of solicitude which as a mother she might have been expected to feel for the moral purity of her boy but from fears that through the influence and ascendancy which such a favourite as acta might acquire she should lose her own power she knew very well how absolute and complete the domination of such a favourite sometimes became and she trembled at the danger which threatened her of being supplanted by acta and thus losing her control agrippina was very violent and imperious in her temper and had long been accustomed to rule those around her with a very high hand and now without properly considering that nero had passed beyond the age in which he could be treated as a mere boy she attacked him at once with the bitterest reproaches and invectives and insisted that his connection with acta should be immediately abandoned nero resisted her and stoutly refused to comply with her demands agrippina was fired with indignation and rage she filled the palace with her complaints and criminations she accused nero of the basest ingratitude toward her in repaying the long-continued and faithful exertions and sacrifices which she had made to promote his interests by thus displacing her from his confidence and regard to make room for this wretched favourite and of falseness and faithlessness to octavia in abandoning her his lawful wife for the society of an enfranchised slave agrippina was extremely violent in these denunciations she scolded she stormed she raved acting manifestly under the impulse of blind and uncontrollable passion her passion was obviously blind for the course to which it impelled her was plainly very far from tending to accomplish any object which she could be supposed to have in view at length when the first fury of her vexation and anger had spent itself she began to reflect as people generally do when recovering from a passion that she was spending her strength in working mischief to her own cause this reflection helped to promote the subsiding of her anger her loud denunciations gradually died away and were succeeded by mutterings and murmurings at length she became silent altogether and after an interval of reflection she concluded no longer to give way to her clamorous and useless anger but calmly to consider what it was best to do she soon determined that the wisest and most politic plan after all 
would be for her to acquiesce in the fancy of her son and endeavour to retain her ascendancy over him by aiding and countenancing him in his pleasures she accordingly changed by degrees the tone which she had assumed toward him and began to address him in words of favour and indulgence she said that it was natural after all at his time of life to love and that his superior rank and station entitled him to some degree of immunity from the restrictions imposed upon ordinary men acta was indeed a beautiful girl and she was not surprised she said that he had conceived an affection for her the indulgence of his love was indeed attended with difficulty and danger but if he would submit the affair to her care and management she could take such precautions that all would be well she apologized for the warmth with which she had at first spoken and attributed it to the jealous and watchful interest which a mother must always feel in all that relates to the prosperity and happiness of her son she said moreover that she was now ready and willing to enter into and promote his views and she offered him the use of certain private apartments of her own in the palace to meet acta in saying that by such an arrangement and with the precautions that she could use he could enjoy the society of his favourite whenever he pleased without interruption and without danger nero very naturally reported all this to his companions they of course advised him not to believe anything that his mother said nor to trust to her in any way it is all said they an artful device on her part to get you into her power and no young man of pride and spirit will submit to the disgrace of being under his mother's management and control the young profligate listened to the counsels of his associates and rejected the overtures which his mother had made him he continued his attachment to acta but kept as much as possible aloof from agrippina he desired however if possible to avoid an open quarrel with his mother and so he made some effort to treat her with attention and respect in his general bearing toward her while he persisted in refusing to admit her to his confidence in respect to acta these general attentions were however by no means sufficient to satisfy agrippina the influence of acta was what she feared and she well knew that her own power was in imminent danger of being undermined and overthrown unless she could find some means of bringing her son's connection with his favourite under her own control thus the calm that seemed for a short time to reign between nero and his mother was an armistice rather than a peace and this armistice was brought at length to a sudden termination by an act of nero's which he intended as an act of conciliation and kindness but which proved to be in effect 
the means of awakening his mother's anger anew and of exciting her even to a more violent exasperation than she had felt before it seems that among the other treasures of the imperial palace at rome there was an extensive wardrobe of very costly female dresses and decorations which was appropriated to the use of the wives and mothers of the emperors nero conceived the idea of making a present to his mother from this collection he accordingly selected a magnificent dress and a considerable quantity of jewellery and sent them to agrippina instead of being gratified with this gift however agrippina received it as an affront she had been so long accustomed to consider herself as the first personage in the imperial household that she regarded all such things as rightfully her own and she consequently looked upon the act of nero informally presenting her with a small portion of these treasures as a simple impertinence and as intended to notify her that he considered all that remained of the collection as his property and thenceforth as such subject to his exclusive control instead therefore of being appeased by nero's offering she was greatly enraged by it the angry invectives which she uttered were duly reported to the emperor and his indignation and resentment were aroused by them anew and thus the breach between the mother and the son became wider than ever in fact nero began to perceive very clearly that if he intended to secure for himself anything more than the empty semblance of power he must at once do something effectual to curb the domineering and ambitious spirit of his mother after revolving this subject in his mind he finally concluded that the measure which promised to be most decisive was to dismiss a certain public officer named pallas who had been brought forward into public life many years before by agrippina and was now the chief instrument of her political power pallas was the public treasurer and he had amassed such enormous wealth by his management of the public finances that at one time when claudius was complaining of the impoverished condition of his exchequer some one replied that he would soon be rich enough if he could but induce his treasurer to receive him into partnership pallas as has already been said had been originally brought forward into public life by the influence of agrippina and he had always been agrippina's chief reliance in all her political schemes he had aided very effectually in promoting her marriage with claudius and had co-operated with her in all her subsequent measures and nero considered him now as his mother's chief supporter and ally nero resolved accordingly to dismiss him from office and in order to induce him 
to retire peaceably it was agreed that no inquiry or investigation should be made into the state of his accounts but everything should be considered as balanced and settled pallas acceded to this proposal during the whole course of his official career he had lived in great magnificence and splendour and now in laying down his office he withdrew from the imperial palaces at the head of a long train of attendants with a degree of pomp and parade which attracted universal attention the event was regarded by the public as a declaration on the part of nero that thenceforth he himself and not his mother was to rule and agrippina of course fell at once many degrees from the high position which she had held in the public estimation she was of course greatly enraged and though utterly helpless in respect to resistance she stormed about the palace uttering the loudest and most violent expressions of resentment and anger during the continuance of this paroxysm agrippina bitterly reproached her son for what she termed his cruel ingratitude it was altogether to her she said that he owed his elevation for a long course of years she had been making ceaseless exertions had submitted to the greatest sacrifices and had even committed the most atrocious crimes to raise him to the high position to which he had attained and now so soon as he had attained it and had made himself sure as he fancied of his foothold his first act was to turn basely and ungratefully against the hand that had raised him but notwithstanding his fancied security she would teach him she said that her power was still to be feared britannicus was still alive and he was after all the rightful heir and since her son had proved himself so unworthy of the efforts and sacrifices that she had made for him she would forthwith take measures to restore to britannicus what she had so unjustly taken from him she would immediately divulge all the dreadful secrets which were connected with nero's elevation she would make known the arts by means of which her marriage with claudius had been effected and the adoption of nero as claudius's son and heir had been secured she would confess the murder of claudius and the usurpation on her part of the imperial power for nero her son nero would in consequence be deposed and britannicus would succeed him and thus the base ingratitude and treachery toward his mother which nero had displayed would be avenged this plan she declared she would immediately carry into effect she would take britannicus to the camp and appeal to the army in his name both burrus and seneca would join her and her undutiful and treacherous son would be stripped forthwith of all his ill-gotten power these words of agrippina were not however the expressions of sober purpose really and honestly entertained they were the wild and unthinking threats and denunciations which are prompted in such cases by the frenzy of helpless and impotent rage 
it is not at all probable that she had any serious intention of attempting such desperate measures as she threatened for if she had really entertained such a design she would have carefully kept it secret while making her arrangements for carrying it into execution still these threats and denunciations though they were obviously prompted by a blind and temporary rage which it might be reasonably supposed would soon subside made a deep impression upon nero's mind in the first place he was angry with his mother for daring to utter them then there was at least a possibility that she might really undertake to put them in execution as no one could foresee what her desperate frenzy might lead her to do then besides even if agrippina's resentment were to subside and she should seem entirely to abandon all idea of ever executing her threats nero was extremely unwilling to remain thus in his mother's power exposed continually to fresh outbreaks of her hostility whenever her anger or her caprice might arouse her again the threats which his mother uttered made him therefore extremely restless and uneasy a circumstance occurred about this time which though very trifling in itself had the effect greatly to increase the jealousy and fear in respect to britannicus which nero was inclined to feel it seems that among the other amusements with which the company were accustomed to entertain themselves in the social gatherings that took place from time to time in the imperial palace there was a certain game which they used to play called who shall be king the game consisted of choosing one of the party by lot to be king and then of requiring all the others to obey the commands whatever they might be which the king so chosen might issue of course the success of the game depended upon the art and ingenuity of the king in prescribing such things to be done by his various subjects as would most entertain and amuse the company what the forfeit or penalty was that the rules of the game required in case of disobedience is not stated but every one was considered bound to obey the commands that were laid upon him provided of course that the thing required was within his power nero himself it appears was accustomed to join in these sports and one evening when a party were all playing it together in his palace it fell to his lot to be king when it came to be the turn of britannicus to receive orders nero directed him to go out into the middle of the room and sing a song to the company this was a very severe requirement for one so young as britannicus and so little accustomed to take an active part in the festivities of so gay a company and the motive of nero in making it was supposed to be a feeling of ill-will and a desire to tease his brother by placing him in an awkward and embarrassing situation one in which he would be compelled either to interrupt the game by refusing to obey the orders of the king 
or to expose himself to ridicule by making a fruitless attempt to sing a song to the surprise of all however britannicus rose from his seat without any apparent hesitation or embarrassment walked out upon the floor and took his position the attention of the whole company was fixed upon him all sounds were hushed he began to sing the song was a lament describing in plaintive words and in mournful music the situation and the sorrows of a young prince excluded wrongfully from the throne of his ancestors the whole company listened with profound attention charmed at first by the artless simplicity of the music and the grace and beauty of the boy as britannicus proceeded in his song and the meaning of it in its application to his own case began to be perceived a universal sympathy for him was felt by the whole assembly and when he concluded and resumed his seat the apartment was filled with suppressed murmurs of applause the effect of this scene upon the mind of nero was of course only to awaken feelings of vexation and anger he looked on in moody silence uttering mentally the fiercest threats and denunciations against the object of his jealousy whom he was now compelled to look upon more than ever before as a dangerous and formidable rival he determined in fact that britannicus should die in considering by what means he should undertake to effect his purpose it seemed to nero most prudent to employ poison there was no pretext whatever for any criminal charge against the young prince and nero did not dare to resort to open violence he determined therefore to resort to poison and to employ locusta to prepare it locusta the reader will remember was the woman whom agrippina had employed for the murder of her husband claudius she was still in custody as a convict being under sentence of death for her crimes she was in the charge of a certain captain named polio an officer of the praetorian guard nero sent for polio and directed him to procure from his prisoner a poisonous potion suitable for the purpose intended the potion was prepared and soon afterward it was administered at least it was given to certain attendants that were employed about the person of britannicus with orders that they should administer it the expected effect however was not produced whether it was because the potion which locusta had prepared was too weak or because it was not really administered by those who received it in charge no result followed and nero was greatly enraged he sent for polio and assailed him with reproaches and threats and as for locusta he declared that she should be immediately put to death they were both miserable cowards he said who had not the firmness to do their duty polio in reply made the most earnest protestations of his readiness to do whatever his master should command he assured nero that the failure of their attempt 
was owing entirely to some accidental cause and that if he would give locusta one more opportunity to make the trial he would guarantee that she would prepare a mixture that would kill britannicus as quick as a dagger would do it nero ordered that this should immediately be done locusta was sent for and was shut up with polio in an apartment adjoining that of the emperor with directions to make the mixture there and then to administer it forthwith their lives were to depend upon the result the poison was soon prepared there was however a serious difficulty in the way of administering it since a potion so sudden and violent in its character as this was intended to be might be expected to take immediate effect upon the taster and so produce an alarm which would prevent britannicus from receiving it to obviate this difficulty polio and locusta cunningly contrived the following plan they mixed the poison when it was prepared with cold water and put it in the pitcher in which cold water was customarily kept in the apartment where britannicus was to take his supper when the time arrived nero himself came in and took his place upon a couch which was standing in the room with a view of watching the proceedings some broth was brought in for the prince's supper the attendant whose duty it was tasted it as usual and then passed it into the prince's hand britannicus tasted it and found it too hot it had been purposely made so he gave it back to the attendant to be cooled the attendant took it to the pitcher and cooled it with the poisoned water and then gave it back again to britannicus without asking the taster to taste it again britannicus drank the broth in a few minutes the fatal consequences ensued the unhappy victim sank suddenly down in a fainting fit his eyes became fixed his limbs were paralyzed his breathing was short and convulsive the attendants rushed toward him to render him assistance but his life was fast ebbing away and before they could recover from the shock which his sudden illness occasioned them they found that he had ceased to breathe the event produced of course great excitement and commotion throughout the palace agrippina was immediately summoned and as she stood over the dying child she was overwhelmed with terror and distress nero on the other hand appeared wholly unmoved it is only one of his epileptic fits said he britannicus has been accustomed to them from infancy he will soon recover as soon however as there was no longer any room to question that britannicus was dead nero began immediately to make preparations for the burial of the body the remorse which notwithstanding his depravity he could not but feel at having perpetrated such a crime made him impatient to remove all traces and memorials of it from his sight and besides he was afraid to wait the usual period and then to make arrangements for a public funeral lest the truth 
in respect to the death of britannicus might be suspected by the romans and a party be formed to revenge his wrongs any tendency of this kind which might exist would be greatly favoured he knew by the excitement of a public funeral he determined therefore that the body should be immediately buried there was another reason still for this dispatch it seems that one of the effects of the species of poison which locusta had administered was that the body of the victim was turned black by it soon after death this discoloration in fact began to appear in the face of the corpse of britannicus before the time for the interment arrived and nero in order to guard against the exposure which this phenomenon threatened ordered the face to be painted of the natural colour by means of cosmetics such as the ladies of the court were accustomed to use in those days by doing this the countenance of the dead was restored to its proper colour and afterward underwent no further change still the emperor was naturally impatient to have the body interred the preparations were accordingly made that same evening and in the middle of the night the body of britannicus was buried in the field of mars a vast parade-ground in the precincts of the city in addition to the darkness of the night a violent storm arose and the rain fell in torrents while the interment proceeded very few therefore of the people of the city knew what had occurred until the following day the violence of the storm however which promoted in one respect the accomplishment of nero's designs by favouring the secrecy of the interment in another respect operated strongly against him for the face of the corpse became so wet with the fallen rain that the cosmetic was washed away and the blackened skin was brought to view the attendants who had the body in charge learned thus that the boy had been poisoned on the morning after the funeral the emperor issued a proclamation announcing the death and burial of his brother and calling upon the roman senate and the roman people for their sympathy and support in the bereavement which he had sustained at the time of his death britannicus was fourteen years old End of chapter seven